It's obviously genetic. Thank you so very much. What a wonderful lead-in to our time in God's Word this morning. If you would, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Over the last two weeks, we've been considering Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. Let me read to you that account from the English Standard Version of the Bible. John 3, verses 1 to 15. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. Now for this hour, we want to focus our attention upon verses 11 to 15. And that's where we find ourselves and the declarations of Jesus to Nicodemus regarding the gospel, the good news which is said here to bring eternal life. But first, maybe a bit of review, especially for those of you who haven't been with us until this morning, verses 1 to 10. Nicodemus, it says in verse 1, was a Pharisee, a ruler, a ruler in the Sanhedrin, a ruler of the Jews. And he came to Jesus by night, and he gave him some guarded compliments regarding Jesus' teaching. But he failed to understand the purpose behind Jesus performing several signs, attesting to Jesus' identity as the divine Son of God. And Jesus goes right to the heart of the issue with Nicodemus, telling him straight away that unless a person, namely Nicodemus, but of course everyone else in the entire world, unless they are born again, he or she cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus is confused about what Jesus is telling him. 
And he assumes that Jesus is somehow referring to being physically born a second time from his mother's womb. And Jesus declares to him that what he's actually referring to is that unless a person is born from above, spiritually remade, regenerated, being by that washed and cleansed through the power of God's Holy Word, by the agency of the Holy Spirit's initiation of the regenerating of a person's soul, and unless those things happen, a person cannot enter the kingdom of God. And by this time, Nicodemus is incredulous, and he's confused even more about what Jesus is referring to. And Jesus himself rebukes Nicodemus because he's one of the foremost teachers in all of Israel for the whole nation. And yet he doesn't understand the easiest thing from Ezekiel's prophecy, chapter 36, and how it foretold a day in the new covenant when God would pour out the clean spiritual water of his word and that he would cause the spiritual uncleanness of Israel to be washed and cleansed right away through the Word. And he didn't understand the next chapter, Ezekiel 37, that talks about the vision of dry bones and how those dry bones were animated by God's Spirit so that those dry bones would live again and that they would be picturing the very Holy Spirit's work in bringing life from the dead. Those two chapters especially, to say nothing of Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 11 and other passages, Isaiah's prophecy also, that speak of the Spirit's work in regenerating the heart and to speak of how the Word would cleanse human hearts so that they would be clean, spiritually speaking. And Jesus pictures this spiritual reality by further with Nicodemus illustrating this truth with what the wind does when it blows. We don't, Jesus says, know exactly how the process of how the wind works when it blows, uh, what it does, uh, where it comes from, and where it's going. But when you see the effects of the wind by the movement of the rustling of the leaves on the tree and uh, the branches and the limbs, you see the effects of the work of the wind. Jesus says this is the way of the Holy Spirit. You don't know where he's working to bring life from the dead, spiritually speaking, but in those souls you can begin to see the effects of those works by a transformed life. You can begin to see how God works in that soul. Mysterious, yes, but undeniably when the Spirit is truly at work. Transforming those souls into souls that are at the Spirit's bidding doing the Spirit's work, obeying the Holy Spirit. And when you see the Holy Spirit creating life where there was no life, it's undeniably and distinctly the spiritual work, the movement of the Holy Spirit like a brush of wind in a person's life. And you can see those marked works of the Spirit in that life. And it's undeniably true and clear. And by this time, Nicodemus is even more confused. He's still blind to the truth of what Jesus means by what he's teaching. And he says very starkly and I suppose very sadly, how can these things happen? 
And Jesus rebukes him even more for being one of those major teachers in Israel and yet not grasping what he should have known and what he should have been teaching the people of Israel. But he doesn't. And he doesn't because Jesus says, you don't believe. We pick up the narrative in verse 11. And really, three simple outline points will give us verses 11 to 15. And the first one is this. Let's call it the outline point, earthly slash heavenly. Earthly, heavenly. Look at verses 11 and 12. Truly, truly, which is the third time Jesus has said this, which is, amen, amen, let it stand firm, let it stand firm. Truly, truly, I say to you, we, plural, Jesus apparently speaking in that royal we, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. But you, that's plural also, but you, uh, you and those who are also unbelieving, those of you who are also blind, even beyond Nicodemus, maybe the rest of the rulers of the Jews, and maybe the rest of Israel for that matter, all of those who don't believe, but you, you do not receive our testimony. If I going back to referring to himself in the singular, if I, Jesus said, have told you earthly things and you do not believe, that's an indication squarely from the text that Nicodemus was not believing. He was not a believer. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Because Nicodemus is unbelieving, because he doesn't get it, because he doesn't understand, because he doesn't have the Spirit like the wind moving in and through his heart to regenerate him, because he does not have those things, he does not understand these things, these profound truths, which, of course, would constitute unbelieving Israel itself. Just like this leader, Nicodemus, one of the teachers in Israel, Jesus says, And he says, you do not even understand earthly things. What does he mean by that? He probably means by that something like this. If you don't understand elementary things of the faith, if you don't understand the ABCs of what I'm doing and why I've come and who I am and what the Holy Spirit is doing in the world, if you don't understand those elementary things, if you haven't read Ezekiel 36 or chapter 37 and you don't know what that prophecy is about, if you don't understand even the elementary things of the faith, then how would you understand weightier, more profound truths? Spiritual realities like the kingdom of God and what it consists of and who's there and what more weightier teaching is going to be taught to those in the kingdom of God. You're outside it. You don't understand. You don't get it. And this, by the way, is probably very similar to what Jesus earlier said to Nicodemus that it's the eternal difference between that which is flesh because flesh is flesh and that which is spirit because spirit produces spiritual. You don't understand what I'm saying. Your eyes are blind. Your ears are stopped because you're acting and thinking 
and your rational mindset is nothing but flesh, so all you understand is flesh. If the Spirit was working in your life, then what you would understand is spiritual. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2. A natural man does not accept, does not receive the things of the Spirit, for they are undiscerning to him. They can't get it. They can't understand. They can't discern spiritual realities. But the spiritual man, the one in whom the Holy Spirit is working, who has regenerated his heart, caused him to be born from above by God, then he understands all things, 1 Corinthians 2 says. Paul gives us clarity that if you are a part of the flesh, the natural realm, the earthly realm, then all you're going to understand are earthly things. And as I said last time, it's as though someone's speaking in English to you as an English speaker and receiver, and they're talking to you, and it's as though they're talking some other language entirely. If you go back to those early days of AM and FM transistor radios, it's as though when the Spirit is regenerating a heart, the FM dial has been turned on and you and I have been given FM frequency to understand. But for someone who doesn't understand, for someone who doesn't really discern the spiritual realities of what the Spirit is doing because the Spirit hasn't regenerated that soul, caused that person to be born again, it's like that person is supposed to be hearing an FM transistor radio and all he has is AM. Doesn't get it. Doesn't understand. It's a, it's a wavelength he's not on. And that's Nicodemus. Jesus says, if you're stumbling over what I'm saying, you need to be born again via the work of the Holy Spirit. And then you could possibly understand the truths of what I'm attempting to teach in my ministry. And what he'll go on, of course, to teach throughout John's Gospel, progressively so, will culminate in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And even with the disciples of Jesus, who didn't understand that's what Messiah was going to come and do, even they did not understand those things, at least in their fullness, until at Pentecost the Holy Spirit did come and He did visit them and they understood and then Peter and the other disciples became those wonderful preachers of the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection. It's as though FM radio came to their ears and they understood it. They understood what Messiah was going to do. They'd been raised as faithful Jews, but they didn't understand it until the Spirit did His work in their souls, and then they got it. And then they understood, oh, it's not just that Jesus is going to come as a king to restore Israel, but the king also comes to die. And when he was saying, for instance, even in Mark's Gospel, and he said it several times, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and there I'm going to be accused of blasphemy. It isn't going to be true, but I'm going to be accused of it nonetheless, and I'm going to go through unjust trials, and then I'm going to hang on a cross, and then I'm going to die, and then I'm going to be buried, and then I'm going to be raised again on the third day, and the disciples say, huh? What? What is this about dying? That's not our Messiah. You've come to overthrow the Roman oppression, not to die. 
The Messiah, as foretold by the prophets, hasn't come to die. He's come to take over. And it's like Nicodemus is on that kind of wavelength, even like those disciples, until the Lord turned on their ears and opened their eyes through the ministry of the Holy Spirit to understand the truth that Jesus does come to die, to be buried, to be raised again on the third day, and to ascend to the Father, and to come again one day to judge the living and the dead, and to set up His kingdom, that 1,000-year literal reign of Christ on the earth where the King is the King in Israel, and He is reigning in Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives, and He is the one to whom Israel will then say, He is the King He's the one we've pierced. Oh, what have we done? And Nicodemus, at this point, he should have understood those things. You say, well, how could he? He didn't have eyes to see. He didn't have ears to hear. Yes. And that's why Jesus says, Nicodemus, you must be born from above. It's the classic difference, my friends, between an eternal heavenly perspective and an earthly one. And there are people that you and I talk to. They're people that you and I are witnessing to. And when we talk to them, and when we talk about Christ, it sounds like gobbledygook to them. It sounds like they can't understand those things. What do you mean? What is this? Well, what do you mean that Jesus is the only way? How is it that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, as you say? How is that true? Why does He have exclusive claims on a relationship with God? And... John will continue to say this over and over and over again. And in fact, Nicodemus is a part of this very group that John begins to talk about even prior to this encounter. Look at chapter 2, verse 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. And I've told you before, if they were believing him simply because of his signs and they weren't believing Him in addition to His signs by what He was preaching, the good news of salvation in Him, in the Messiah, then they weren't really believers. You say, but it says there, many believed in His name. Yes, but it also says in verse 24, but Jesus on His part did not entrust Himself to them. You say, well, it says they trusted in Him. They believed. Belief and trust, same thing. They trusted in Him, but He didn't trust, entrust Himself to them. Yes. Why? Because he knew all people. And he needed no one to bear witness about man, for he knew himself what was in man. And here's Nicodemus, the very first word of the next text in English. Here he is. There was Nicodemus. There was a man. And he's the personified one man of those other men. And he didn't get it. And Jesus didn't entrust himself to Nicodemus because Nicodemus was not trusting in Jesus. Look at chapter 9. This will be John's clarion call throughout his gospel for those who heard Jesus. They heard him. They heard his teaching. They saw his signs, but they were unbelieving. Look at chapter 9, verse 26. They said to him, the rulers of the Jews, they said to this man born blind, they said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become His disciples? Now, if they were really seeing and hearing and understanding, what might they have said? Yes, yes we do. Tell us, 
Like the Samaritans in John chapter 4. Yes, tell us. The Samaritan woman came to us and she told us all the things you told her about her life and, and she's now come to us and these Samaritan men are saying, tell us Jesus. And it says Jesus stayed two whole days and talked to them about himself and he, and he outlined the plan and they got the plan and they understood and they believed. But not these rulers. They revile him when he asked the question, do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. Read both irony and humor there, would you? Well, now, isn't this something? This man who opens the eyes of the blind, which has never, ever happened in the history of Israel. And you're telling me you don't know where he comes from? Verse 31, we know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man, referring to Jesus, were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Instead of receiving his witness, receiving his testimony, they utterly cast him out. Why? Because he was exposing their unbelief. And Jesus, according to verse 35, heard that they'd cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Jesus' designation from himself, from Daniel's prophecy. He answered the blind man, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. It's me. I'm the Son of Man. I'm the one who caused your blindness to go away and you see because of me. And he said what? Lord, I, I believe. I believe. And he worshipped him. And remember now, this man, born blind, faithful Jew, worships God alone, right? Worships Yahweh alone. But what does the text say? And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. What is he saying? The man who was born blind, he had the opportunity to be born from above, not just his physical eyes being restored, but also born from above. The Holy Spirit opened his eyes to respond to Jesus. And when Jesus says, I'm the one who did this to you, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he said, I believe, and he worshipped him. So the man who didn't see saw. And all the others, like these religious leaders, these rulers, didn't see even though they thought they saw. And Jesus said, even though you think you see, you're blind. You're blind. Some of the Pharisees heard him. And they heard these things. And they said to him, are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, like this man, you would have had no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. You think you see, but you don't see. And that's Nicodemus. 
He thinks he sees, but he doesn't see. And Jesus says that to everyone. Look at chapter 10, verse 19. There was a division again among the Jews because of these words. And many of them says, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And it's just controversy after controversy. We don't know who he is. Some say, Yes, we do. No one's ever opened the eyes of a blind man. He surely is the Messiah. He surely is the one who has come to deliver Israel from their spiritual blindness, and the very religious leaders of Israel say, not so fast. We think he has a demon. No wonder Jesus said, you've committed the utter blasphemy. What you attribute by the very works of the Holy Spirit to Satan, it's unforgivable. Look at chapter 12, verse 42. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in Him. And you say, well, there, there it is. They, they believed in Him. But what does the text say? But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. You see what John is saying? Do you see him quoting Jesus' words? Nicodemus, if I tell you these things on a spiritual level, you're not going to get it because you're not born from above. You're in unbelief. You hate God and His Son and you don't even know it. You are earthly. And that's the contrast. It's earthly slash heavenly. It's spiritual slash fleshly. And all the flesh is of the flesh, and the Spirit is spiritual, and when the Spirit moves like the wind, and when He opens somebody's eyes, they say things like this, I never knew. I didn't know this. I didn't know Jesus was the Son of God. Oh, I heard it all my life, but it came to me in full power. It came to me, and, and I now see because I acknowledge that I was blind. But for those who are blind and they don't see their blindness, then they're blind all the more. It's the classic difference of the earthly and the heavenly. What a contrast. Number two. Number two. Let's call it ascending and descending. Earthly, heavenly, ascending, descending. Verse 13. No one, Jesus says, has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. What does he mean? Well, just like the first point, that his teaching is spiritual, not earthly, not fleshly. That's why he's unique. And he says here that his personhood is divine, not merely human. And Jesus in this teaching of Nicodemus, is continually pounding away at Nicodemus because he doesn't recognize the profundity of the person who is standing right before him, teaching him spiritual things. And he switches from the earthly-slash-heavenly contrast to substantiate his own uniqueness as the Son of Man. You say, what do I mean by that? Well, think of it this way. Way back, 
way back in Israel's history, there was always this fascination, this longing for the divine, heavenly wisdom to descend upon mankind. You say, well, it even goes back prior to that. Yes, it does. Remember the Tower of Babel? Remember all the way back in Genesis, the account that mankind wanted to build this tower so that they could do what? They could ascend and they could speak the heavenly language so that they could know divine things. And they were always in this fascinating attempt, does humankind, to ascend to heaven in order to attain heavenly wisdom. In fact, I'll show you even back in the book of Proverbs. Look at chapter 30 of Proverbs. And you'll see this man, Agur. We don't know much about him other than the fact that verse 1 in Proverbs 30 says, the words of Agur, son of Yaqeh, the oracle. So he gives this oracle. And this is the oracle of this man. He says in verse 1, the man, referring to himself, the man declares, I am weary, O God. I am weary, O God, and worn out. Why is he worn out? Why, why is he tuckered? Verse 2, simply, I am too stupid to be a man. I have not the understanding of a man. What do you mean? I don't have the wisdom I need. I don't have the wisdom I need to navigate life. I don't have the divine apparatus to understand the right journey. He says, verse 3, I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. I don't know who you are. There's a divine being, and I know that because of my heart. That's what Romans 1 says. I know that God is out there somewhere. I know He's real. I, I know He's above me, and I need to know Him, but I'm stupid. I don't have the understanding that I need. And then he says in verse 4, his own rhetorical questions. Notice these. Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who is it? I don't know Him. I need to know Him. Who is He? Who, who's ascended to heaven and come down? It certainly wasn't those groups of people at the Tower of Babel. They tried. The Lord confused their language. He says, secondly, who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who's, who's so powerful that he grabs the wind in his fist and he makes the wind do with what he pleases? Who is this? Another rhetorical question. Who's wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is His name? And what is His Son's name? Surely you know. He's saying, I don't know what I need to know. I'm stupid. I'm dumb. I have no understanding. I'm a mere man. And I want to know, has anybody ascended up to heaven to find out this divine wisdom? Has anybody ever been able to accomplish the task? Does anybody take the, the wind in his fists? Has anybody created the very earth of our existence? Who is he? What's his name? Does he have a son? If he has a son, what's his name? It's not talking about the Son of God there. He's just asking rhetorically, I want to know. I don't have the understanding that I need to have. And it's like Nicodemus all over again. He comes to Jesus by night and he says, I, I want to talk to you. I, I know that somehow and in some way, even though, you, even though you don't have the rabbinic training that I have, and even though I've been a teacher of Israel for a long time, Nicodemus was probably an old man at this point. 
He couldn't have gotten that way and couldn't have been in the Sanhedrin unless he was an older man. And so he comes as an older man by night and he essentially asks the same question that Augur is saying. I I can see these signs that you're doing and I'm asking the question, who are you? Who are you? And Jesus begins to tell him. And Nicodemus says, I don't believe you. I don't get this. I don't understand. Who's taken this wind in his fists? Are you telling me that that you know the answer to this? Who's established the heavens? Who's created the world? What's his name? What's his son's name? Are, are, are Are you saying that you know the answer to that question? And Jesus gives him the answers. And he fans on the answers himself several times. How can these things be? I don't get this. Can I go back into my mother's womb a second time? This is crazy. I'm incredulous. What do you mean? And Jesus says, you don't get it because you're not a part of my sheep. And you see, in the Judaism of Jesus' own day, there was a great fascination, my friends, about people, human beings, maybe even angelic beings, who ascended to God. You know the list. Uh, Enoch, Elijah, Moses, Isaiah, Ezekiel and their visions. They ascended and the Jews were fascinated by such a thing. Somebody who was able to ascend and grasp the knowledge of divine things and they became so infatuated with these things, they would ask the question, well then, how do we know that knowledge? Let's talk to those who have ascended. And Jesus is standing right before him and he says this, I am telling you that I am the Son of Man. And if he's a teacher of Israel, he heard that phrase, Son of Man, and he should have said to himself, that's in Daniel's prophecy. That's in Daniel's prophecy. Where is it? And he goes through in his mind, oh, it's in Daniel 7. And here's what it says, Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. I saw the night visions... And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. This is not talking about some earthly king. This is talking about a vision from Daniel, who is God's interpreter, right? Daniel said, I wouldn't have any capacity to interpret dreams unless God was with me. And he gives this interpretation of this dream, and he says, there's a son of man, and then he's coming, and he goes to the ancient of days, the father, and the father bestows upon him a kingdom, and that kingdom has glory and honor and blessing and dominion forever and ever, and the kingdom will never be destroyed And Jesus says to Nicodemus, I am that Son of Man. And no one, no one has ascended to heaven except the Son of Man who has descended from heaven. My friends, if you've got spiritual ears and eyes, you know who Jesus is you know that what He is saying is truth. 
And for those of you who don't have your spiritual eyes opened nor ears hearing spiritually, you reject it. The world rejects it. The world says, poppycock, I don't believe that. I don't believe Jesus is the only way. I think Jesus was just a good teacher. Well, if he's such a good teacher, then grapple with what he says in his teaching. I am the Son of Man. I am He. And here in John 3, Jesus tells this Jewish person, Nicodemus, about his utter uniqueness because he's the only human being who ever went into heaven. And you say, when was that? When he died, when he was buried, and when he was raised the third day, and then he spent 40 days with his disciples, and then according to Acts 1.9, he was ascended into heaven. He descended from heaven and He will ascend into heaven. And John records this here and he records at the end of his Gospel that that's what Jesus does. That's why it says in John 20:17, I will ascend. I am ascending to my Father. I am the bread that came down, John 6, from heaven, descending and I am ascending to my Father, John 20, 17. And no one, he says, notice John 3. Notice what he says. No one, verse 13, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Oh, my friends, this is no mere man we're talking about. No mere man. And Nicodemus should have known that the man who was standing in front of him and teaching him these truths was none other than God in human flesh. And he didn't get it because he didn't believe. And so Jesus tries yet again. This is number three. Let's call it lifted up slash believing. Lifted up slash believing. Not just earthly, heavenly, not just descended, ascended, but lifted up and believing. Look at verse 14 and verse 15. And Jesus says, For the last time to this man, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. This is the final point. This is the final word for Nicodemus. It's the last altar call. This is the third and final thing that Jesus is going to say just in these verses, verses 11 to 15. And it's about His death on the cross. And He likens what will happen to Him at that cross as being lifted up. And where does that come from? Well, yes, it does come from Isaiah 52.13. He's high and lifted up. But what Jesus is referring to here is in Numbers 21. Turn in your Bibles to Numbers 21 as we close. This is what Jesus means. It's what He's likening His own being lifted up. In Numbers chapter 21, starting in verse 4. Numbers 21, 4. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea, the children of Israel, to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. 
Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. That is a thankless bunch. And what's the Lord's response? Verse 6, Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. You see, that's a hideous way to go. It's actually not as hideous as unbelief because that's what brought their death, their unbelief. That's more hideous. And the people came to Moses, verse 7, and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that He take away the serpents from us. So, compassionate Moses prayed for the people. Verse 8, And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent. This is our gracious God. Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall what? Shall live. When he sees it. He doesn't even have to crawl to the pole. All he needs to do as he's bitten by that fiery serpent and is laying there near death, all he has to do is look up and what? See. See. And he shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and he set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. All right, now here's the, here's the likeness. Jesus points to draw a necessary parallel to himself and this fiery serpent on a pole. But rather than the Israelites looking to the bronze serpent and living, Jesus says, if I am lifted up, if they what? Not look, but believe. Believe. If I am lifted up, if I, by the end of this Gospel account, If I'm hanging on that cross, and if people recognize like that centurion, surely this man was the Son of God. Those those confused disciples, they ultimately get it because they're born from above. And when they see the reality of what Jesus is teaching Nicodemus, It's like that fiery serpent on that pole in the wilderness. If I would look with my believing eyes and see that serpent on a pole, it's Jesus' death that secures my forgiveness. I see it now. I get this. It's the cross. It's the cross. That's the way it always has been and that's the way it always will be, my friends. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. He was lifted up. And there's even probably some double meaning here. He was lifted up in the sense that He was exalted. He humbled Himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, Philippians 2. And when He humbled Himself, and when He was obedient on that cross, and when He voluntarily gave up His life for the sake of all of those who would ever believe, then He was highly exalted. This is... This is the Gospel. This is the good news of Jesus Christ who has come into the world. And Nicodemus, Jesus says, you do not believe. You and your kind. 
And the rest of this gospel will give examples of some who believed and some who didn't. Some who saw and some who didn't. Some who knew their blindness and they were given sight and someone who thought they saw but were in darkness even until now. Oh, my friends, don't live in the darkness. When you see that Son of Man, Daniel's prophecy being fulfilled, who hung on that cross, and when he was lifted up, believe in what that cross stands for, the forgiveness of sins, that Jesus Christ is Lord of all, and he was exalted to the right hand of the Father because he was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Believe in him and you will be saved. Let's bow together in prayer. Heavenly Father, Jesus and his teaching, they're spiritual teachings, not earthly. His personhood is unique, not merely human. And his death is substitutionary. It's not a common death. He didn't just die like the rest of humanity. He died to save. He purposed to redeem. And for those of us who look with the eyes of faith, are doing so because we've been born from above. Oh, Holy Spirit, take those from here within the hearing of my voice and cause them to be born from above. Open their eyes. Cleanse them with the washing of the water with the Word. Give them new hearts, palpable, spiritual, thirsty hearts. And allow them to see that one, that Son of Man who's lifted up on that cross, to believe in Him, to turn from their sin, to repent of it, to acknowledge the reality that we have been bitten with the serpent of sin and we lay dying unless we look with the eyes of faith. And we look to Christ, we look to His cross, and we ask Him to give us this new life in Christ. And if we ask that, we give evidence that He's already working in our lives, already regenerating us, showing us our sin, showing us the need for Christ. We want that. Oh, show us Christ. May we in that moment of time, maybe even right now, look up to that cross and see Jesus dying for us. May it be so. For the sake of our Savior, we pray. Amen.